This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. What do you think about the people that are out on turkey completely? Like they're willing to do anything but turkey. So what I think is they don't, they're not athletes. Um, and by that, what I'm saying is if you don't practice, how can you be good on game day, right? But if you want to be an athlete, you got to answer the bell. And if you don't want to answer the bell, that's okay. Because you, we, I'm built different. I cook turkey year round so that I'm ready for this. I cooked a turkey three weeks ago so that I can make stops. Okay, I got tur- I got a turkey carcass in my freezer because I got to make more stuff. <laughs> so I'm ready to rock and roll. If you don't want to rock and roll, that's okay. Don't play music. But at the end of the day, the reality of it is, is if your turkey's bad, no, you're bad. Michael Felder coming in hot with his cooking tips here for Thanksgiving. Hello and welcome to BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross here. Joe Ostrowski and Aaron Hawksworth are off, but joining us here on this lovely Thanksgiving is Kate Constable here with you from 9 to noon Eastern on the BetQL Network. Listen to the show on the Odyssey app. Watch the show on twitch.tv slash BetQL on YouTube and follow us on X at BetQL Daily. Hey, joining us on the program today, Zach Walchuk of 105.3 The Fan in Dallas with a report on the Cowboys before their annual Thanksgiving game. And Evan Giddings from KGMZ in San Francisco gives us an inside look at the 49ers before their contest later tonight. But first, Kate, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. As far as the cooking, the trimmings, all that good stuff, are you going to raise your game to that of Michael Felder, who was on the show earlier this week, giving us college football takes and, of course, how to do it right with your Thanksgiving turkey? How can you not love Michael Felder, right? I used to work Uh, with him. He, all he did was talk about his cooking all the time. And he's a fantastic cook. Unbelievable. And so he's completely right. If you're not practicing on something year round, how are you supposed to perform well on game day? I unfortunately am not going to be doing any cooking today. Um, I'm with the in-laws. Big, big group, small condo. So we're going to the country club. Not, I mean... First world problems, right? Like I can't complain too much, but it is kind of sad that I don't get to do any cooking this uh, Thanksgiving because I do typically like to, I don't really, I mean, candidly, I don't raise my game to the level of Michael Felder, but I'm working on it. Adam, that's the best, best you can ask for right now. It's all about practice. It's all about being an athlete. Like you said, now you said you worked with him. Does that mean you've actually tried his cooking? I have not. Um, I, I want to say, yeah, he would make like, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, wood fire pizza in his backyard or okay. something and bring that into the office. He always had like some new pizza he was working on it. I mean, it, he's hmm. intense with his food and it's very, very good. Okay. So here's a guy who's talking about, uh, he was talking about this earlier this week where he has two birds that he will take care of for Thanksgiving. You've got your picking bird which you make first because, you know, you, you deep fry that and then you take it out mm-hmm. and then people want to graze on it. And that's what the picking bird is for. And then you have the masterpiece, the coup de gras, and that's what you're actually carving for your Thanksgiving feast. 
And now you're telling me he also does pizzas and different kinds of pizzas and all sorts of different varieties there. Like, do these cooking skills know no end? They have no boundaries. Michael Felder's cooking skills have no boundaries. I mean, he makes his pizza dough from scratch. He makes his bread for his brioche buns for his burgers from scratch. Like, the guy is unbelievable in the kitchen and extremely creative, too. Follow him on Instagram. He posts a lot of this stuff. I mean, he's got a podcast that's like how to grow. I, I mean, Michael, I'm sorry. I haven't listened in a long time. I have listened before, but not a long time. I think it's like how to grow the soil to plant the vegetables in order to have the 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 cream of the crop of all of it. Like it, it's it's in depth the way he does his cooking. And it's all from scratch. I, rem- I remember him talking about like cream grilled corn or something like that. Yeah. And, I, and it's one of those things where it's like he'll rattle off like 10 to 12 dishes. And I'm going, OK, go back like eight dishes ago because I want to ask you about this because I've never heard of what this is before. Uh, but this is amazing. Now, here's my question when it comes to like Thanksgiving meals, because this matters a great deal. You're out in the central time zone. I'm out west. And so mm-hmm. we know what the tradition is, right? Like we've got the Lions game happening at 1130 your time, 930 my time. And you got the Cowboys game right after that. And now we have that primetime NFL matchup. So I'm curious on your end, as far as getting your bets in and the best times to eat and when you can eat whilst watching football, do you prefer lunch, a late lunch, an early dinner? What's the best for your schedule? 3 p.m. Central. Best time to be eating Thanksgiving dinner. You wake up, you kind of, you know, turn on the TV, you check things out, put some bets in, kind of look at the lines a little. You start your, some of your prep during, while the the Packers-Lions game is going on. You have that on, you know, in the background, in the other room, keeping an eye on that, starting your prep, getting things going in the kitchen. You eat in the early afternoon while the afternoon game is going on or just about to start. And then that way, by the time the primetime night game comes around, You've got a full belly. You're laying on the couch, unable to move all over your focus. Your only focus that, uh, for that night game is the night game. Maybe have a nice glass of wine in your hand to kind of finish off the evening. That is my ideal mm-hmm. Thanksgiving right there. Okay. Because, you know, I've only been in L.A. for a few years now. I'm still getting used to this whole Pacific time zone thing. The Lions game starts at 930 for yeah, me. That's tough. Now, that's for- tough for you. Yeah, so it, it's something where, okay, so the show ends at 9 o'clock Pacific, so definitely, like, I mean, I already have my bets placed, we're fine, but if there are last-second things that I want to get into, well, I have 30 minutes to knock that out, and that's fine. So, you know, Paul, please don't let the post-show meeting last uh, too, too long, please, and thank you. Uh, but w- when it comes to, like, getting bets in, okay, you know, I've got 30 minutes, that's fine, Lions game starts, but then the Cowboys game starting at, like, 1, one thirty thereabouts, so... I mean, I suppose it's okay to miss the beginning of that one. And that's probably how this is going to go down for me. But at the same time, like I also come from a family and also coming from the central time zone where for some reason that college football night game still carried some significance. So we were always eating at lunch. And more recently, I did have a dinner, a late Thanksgiving dinner. I think this was two years ago while I it was my first Thanksgiving in LA where it was like 7.30, 8 o'clock where the games were just about over by then. And I loved it. Like I had no distractions. I could enjoy everyone else. Everyone had ample time to make what they wanted. We had a little charcuterie board that we could graze on while the games were happening. And I thought, okay, I think this is how it's supposed to get done. 
where you wait until the end of the day. You can graze on other things and that's fine. But the end of the day where, okay, you're so tired from all of that turkey, well, it's time to go to bed anyway. So maybe that's something where you have to adjust when to eat based upon where you are in the country. Oh, I think you completely, completely do. Because, you know, if I'm mm -hmm. like, the, your Lions game starting so early, that I, I, I don't know what I would do with that. Like, then you have to wait <laughs> until that game is over before you start getting in the kitchen or cooking or starting your grazing or whatnot. I don't hate the... Um, you know, eat after all of the games are over. But the only thing for me is like Thanksgiving, I just kind of go into that day in in football watching mode of like, I'm not going to be able to watch these games as closely as I would like to, or as I typically do. There's so many people around, there's distractions, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like keep an eye on the TV, keep an eye on the game. We'll obviously have it on in every room, but I can't like, I just know that I can't sit down and watch the full game start to finish without being insanely distracted throughout the day so that's why for me it kind of is like eat whenever it's convenient for my stomach and the timing of cooking and getting things started versus trying to time things out with with games and, and it's also a matter too of what you are perhaps imbibing throughout the day to where you're not overdoing it by the time dinner rolls right. around and so that i i am firmly convinced that thanksgiving is more of a wine drinking kind of holiday if you want to drink something else that's fine uh but if you are going to go for something that is say of the adult beverage variety i think wine's probably the best bet now stay hydrated at boys and girls because you know you don't want to go crazy here but make sure you have a little glass of water nearby all the time but i think that's also a big deal so you're not overdoing it so by the time dinner rolls around then you're set to go yeah, I mean, maybe an occasional Bloody Mary in the morning if you're into that. But like, I don't want to. I don't want to be pounding beers on Thanks. I mean, I really don't really want to ever be pounding beers anymore. But on Thanksgiving especially. Like, well, why not, Kate? <laughs> well, well, because I've done that one too many times in life, and my body is failing me when it comes to uh, processing alcohol. Uh, but a nice, classy, you know, glass of red wine with your mm -hmm. Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe a little champ. I could go for some sh afternoon champagne. That would be fine with me. I'm I'm good with that. But yeah, definitely the red wine with dinner, even after kind of into the evening, as you, you maybe sit by a fire if you're in the Midwest and it's chilly. That's the best. And I mean, minute. I mean, Thanksgiving in Minnesota. I live in Chicago right now, but I'm from Minnesota. Thanksgiving in Minnesota, when it's cold up there and you've got the fire going with the warm socks and the wine and all that, you really can't beat that. Ed, you got it. You got to try Minnesota Thanksgiving sometime. That sounds amazing, actually. I'm definitely on board for that. And it should feel cooler, right? Like, especially yeah. at this time of year. Like, I, I mean, I'm from the South. And so sometimes we've had warm Thanksgivings and I can't wear like a nice sweater or something like that. Or I can't create a fire because it's just too warm, all of those things. So, yes, it should be cooler. Minnesota or somewhere up north probably is nicer for this time of year. So definitely mm -hmm. I'm, I, I would be on board if, uh, you know, all the uh, ads sort of cross that way. Lots of football that we will get into throughout the course of the festivities. Three football games uh, we will get to uh, throughout our time together. But, Kate, I want to ask you about uh, a little bit of NBA because what's been fascinating about, say, like this in-season tournament uh, is trying to discern, okay, who's taking this seriously? Who is trying their best? Like, who are those young, scrappy teams? How far can they get in a tournament like this? Uh, versus, say, those teams that we probably already handicapped as potential NBA champions. 
Uh, but maybe they're taking this seriously. Maybe they're not. It's hard to say. Just from what you've seen so far, do you have any main takeaways? Obviously, the Pacers and Lakers are already into the knockout stage, but do you have any overall general takeaways as far as how teams are approaching this tournament? Yeah, I've actually been kind of impressed at how serious a lot of these teams are taking the the in-season tournament games. I mean, you have the Lake. The Lakers were probably one of the last teams that I thought would have taken this seriously. LeBron's the oldest player mm-hmm. in the league, and he is is talking about wanting to make it into the knockout round uh, and, and possibly win the whole thing. Like, that's great for the game. That's exactly what Adam Silver wanted when he put this whole in-season tournament together. So I've been impressed with players not resting these games. Um, you know, they've been very competitive. You've had some great games uh, coming down to the wire. So I initially thought it would be a ton of really young teams that were kind of in the finals or, or going to make it into the knockout round. Pacers are one of those, but I mean, they've been really good this season. But then you have a lot of the favorites. I mean, the Celtics, it looks like they're probably going to win their group. The Bucks and Heat, two veteran teams mm-hmm. at the top of their group. Um, Kings and the Timberwolves one of those two teams will um will will probably advance there so they're more of the veteran teams that are actually taking this seriously and are likely to make it into the the knockout stage which is kind of surprising to me and i think it was also a fantastic foresight by the league to make sure that these games were happening at times when veteran laden teams could be able to rest mm-hmm. at other times or not overdo it going into an in-season tournament game or something like that, where I think the spacing and the scheduling mattered a great deal to where uh, teams didn't feel like they needed to rest or feel like, okay, well, yeah, it's an in-season tournament game, but we need to make sure so-and-so is healthy or rested or whatever. And so I think definitely the league, as well as anybody, is fully aware of the challenges of a grueling 82-game NBA schedule might be for older players. And so they made it a point to make sure that these games are staggered as far as specifically the in-season tournament games. But also if you're doing, say, a back-to-back or something like that where it's not going to be so overwhelming. Or, say, that non-in-season tournament game of a back-to-back is something where, okay, maybe that's something where as betters you can go to the other side but here still teams can still take it seriously and are presented those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're Adam Silver and and the league, this tournament has probably gone the way this first year of it uh, has gone is probably best case scenario. And you imagine that it's only going to get better and teams are only going to take it even more seriously as they get to Vegas. Uh, I mean, in, take it more seriously in the coming years. Cause once they get to Vegas, mm-hmm. they see how cool it is. Uh, they get see their prize money, all of that jazz. Like uh, the tournament's only going to get better from here. Similar to how the WNBA commissioner cup has gone. That's grown throughout the years. I kind of like this in season tournament thing. It, it makes some of these games a little bit more fun. Uh, before we go to break here, I got to ask you about uh, Greg Popovich telling his own Spurs fans over the public address microphone not to boo Kawhi Leonard. What'd you think of that? Ugh, I mean, come on. That's part of sports. That's that's what makes it fun. Like Kawhi left everyone in San Antonio doesn't like him now. They're going to boo him when he comes back. I'd say just keep letting him play. That, that was silly to me. And uh, I mean, booing is part of sports. That's what makes it fun. Let him do it. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And it's like, I, I think profanity is one thing, but booing, booing you should expect that going into any situation. Fine. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Probably a little overkill. Pop always been a player's coach, but still, I, I think I'm with you there. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, our previews of Thanksgiving football, beginning with the Packers and the Lions. That's right here on the BetQL Network. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Ed, and Kate Constable here with you. And it's time to talk a little Thanksgiving football. And we will start with the game kicking off at 9.30 in the morning, my time. But 12.30 Detroit time. It is the Packers and the Lions. Detroit now an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. This line has continued to move in Detroit's direction, Kate. We've got a total of 47-and-a-half. What are your first impressions of this game? My first impressions earlier in this week were that maybe the Packers could cover this number. You know, got a win last week, although I think maybe that was a little bit more of the Chargers losing that game. But either way, gives the Packers a little momentum. Um, defense for the Lions kind of been its Achilles heel. Lions have turned the ball over quite a bit lately. But with all the injuries for the Packers, like their run game is going to be pretty non-existent today. That all of a sudden, I'm kind of thinking maybe this is just a big Lions spot, a Lions blowout. I mean, this is the first time um, the Lions have played on Thanksgiving and been this relevant. So to be at home mm -hmm. and be this big of a favorite, like huge game for the city of Detroit, that maybe this is just kind of a Lions run over the Packers type of spot. I think the way I would bet this was to throw the Lions in a teaser because I didn't take um, – um Detroit at minus seven and a half so I don't want to take them at minus eight and a half so maybe tease this line down a little bit uh otherwise I'm probably just going to be looking at a lot of props in this one Ed it, it is interesting you bring up the teaser option because I think that's one of the reasons why this number has moved to minus eight and a half being at minus seven and a half earlier in the week uh once you get to that nine then it's no longer a long teaser so I mm -hmm. suppose there's some teaser protection uh one of the big reasons why this has moved and I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the other big reason why this number uh has been moving a lot of big names out for the Packers in this one. Jair Alexander, now he's questionable here. Darnell Savage is out. Aaron Jones is out. A.J. Dillon is questionable. So right away, my first reaction when hearing, say, like, one running back is out, the second one is questionable. Okay, does that mean Jordan Love's going to pass a good bit more? Well, first off, game script is certainly suggesting he's going to do that. So do you just automatically and perhaps blindly bet Jordan Love over 32 and a half pass attempts? It is at minus 140 on BetMGM, so it is a little pricey here. But I do feel like that if the Packers are going to try and keep this close somehow, it'll be because Jordan Love is connecting with Christian Watson a good bit. I just don't know any other path for the Packers to be able to keep this game close. I don't think this Packers defense will be able to contain Jared Goff and company. That, I think, is a good bit of a guarantee. And so can Jordan Love keep up? Probably not. I think Lions minus eight and a half is okay here. I don't love it. Definitely, I think the teaser is still the best bet if you want to take that with, say, the 49ers or something happening on Sunday. I know we've talked about uh, you know that Browns game being uh, teaserable. Uh, but I do think, though, that you look at the passing attack for the Packers, that's going to be the only way where they're able to keep up. And so why not just anticipate that in advance and go with over 32 and a half pass attempts if you're looking at the prop game like you are, Kate? Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at this because especially with this being such a, a large spread, You've got to imagine Packers are going to be down late in the game. They're not going to rely on what their third string running back to 
move the ball downfield. Jordan Love's going to be throwing mm-hmm. the ball quite a bit, taking those deep shots. And we saw him connect with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and throw some some big uh, some big passes downfield last game. Maybe he starts to kind of feel like he's able to uh, do that some more against this Lions defense maybe have a little bit of success, but I think that that's the way you're totally right. Ed. That's the way the Packers uh, are able to stay in this game if they are at all. So I wouldn't, I would prefer to look at uh, loves passing attempts versus passing yards, just because the volume mm-hmm. passing attempts wise, I, I feel very confident that that's going to be there. I'm not confident that he's going to be able to go over his yardage. I mean, he only threw over 300 yards for the first time, last weekend and I know his prop is not going to be set at 300 yards I mean what is it right now 231 and a half but that still feels Mm -hmm. almost a little too high for Jordan Love on this stage against this Lions defense that's going to be fired up coming off of a comeback win last week home on Thanksgiving the crowd's going to be into it so I would definitely go with uh, the passing attempts for Love over passing yards I know some folks are citing uh, that last Lions game against the Bears as far as why maybe Detroit is coming back down to reality and things like that. Uh, Jared Goff did struggle with some of the Bears looks, notably with cover three. But I would also say, look, Goff has done very well against cover three uh, since he's been in a Lions uniform. And so it may have just been a bad day at work for him. But you've obviously what you're obviously watching the Bears all the time. I'm curious, did you feel like that the Lions kind of came back down to reality a little bit? Uh, or was it just a bad game and this is going to be an easy regrouping, get right opportunity for Jared Goff and company? Yeah, I would say that that was one of the best games that the Bears have played in quite some time. And obviously with Justin Fields back on the field. So that was more to me of maybe the lions coming back down to earth a little bit but the bears looking better than they typically do so i'm not sure i would say that the lions are in a bad spot or aren't going to be able to kind of carry the same momentum that they had earlier in the season you talk about uh golf against cover three and the packers play uh, a ton of that 46 percent of their passing plays they're typically in a cover three and they're allowing the third highest rate uh um quarterback rating fourth highest yards per attempt and most passing touchdowns uh, to teams when playing in a cover three. So that's something that the Lions are going to be able to take advantage of quite a bit today. Uh, so, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not concerned about the Lions ma- like barely getting past the Bears last week. That was the Bears playing pretty well for majority of that game, three and a half quarters. Uh, and the Lions just kind of maybe overlooking <laughs> Chicago a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what was the win probability in that one? If I'm not mistaken, yeah, it was around God. 98%. The Bears were supposed to win that one, and they didn't. Like, uh, Bears gonna Bears, I guess. But uh, such yeah. is life uh, out there. It's the almost like series. impressive to lose a game like that. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And That's and especially like. <laughs> No, it's not. And it's something too. And I've kind of made this point for a little while now that, okay, I like Jared Goff, but I don't love Jared Goff. I mean, you look at say like total EPA and other metrics like that. Like, yeah, he's been more than competent. You know, the Lions have done very, very well with him. No doubt about it. But if you're looking at like the success stories as to why the Lions are where they are, you're probably looking at coaching you're probably looking at Amon Ross St. Brown and maybe to a lesser extent getting Sam Laporta. You're probably looking at those guys 
more than you are Jared Goff. And I don't think that's an insult to him. It's just the reality of it in terms of the overall strengths. If you're power ranking the best offensive coordinators or power ranking the best tight ends, things like that, I think you notice that, okay, these guys are higher in their respective list than they are Jared Goff. And that's fine. And what Goff is able to do is be successful in an already competent offense. This is one of the reasons why I think the Lions offensively, especially with the passing attack, could be quite successful because Goff loves those crossing routes. And Amon Ross St. Brown loves running those crossing routes. San Laporta also has done the same thing. And it's another reason why, as far as uh, the prop market, Kate, that I am a big fan of Sam Laporta uh, going over his 46 and a half yards. Uh, I believe he had 19 receptions uh, in the middle third of the field or off of crossing routes with a completion percentage over expected greater than 4% this season. So this is something where uh, you have this young up and coming tight end uh, who already does well, uh, given these types of coverages. I don't see why he wouldn't be targeted a good bit in a game like this high profile contest where it, you know, division game lions do need to keep up with the Eagles. So why not go back to your bread and butter, especially against a Packers defense that will have some weaknesses over the middle. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's one prop or one player that I've been looking at, but I'm kind of nervous. I was almost leaning towards his receptions to go under. I, he had a great really? start to the season, but I feel like his production has slowed a little bit over the last few weeks, only seven total receptions in the last two games. And he's only been targeted five times in each of those. So maybe the, the, mm -hmm. the receiving yards is the way to look at this versus his receptions, the flip flop from what I said about Jordan love. Um, because yeah. in order to hit this, he would, have to be basically perfect if he's only being targeted five times a game uh and packers do a decent job six fewest uh ninth fewest rather targets to opposing tight ends so maybe your way to go with the receiving yards is probably how you should look at sam laporta i was looking earlier at his receptions and i was thinking i'm not sure i can i can take over four and a half no, and that's fine. And it might be like a quasi hedge if you want to do both where, okay, he's not going to get a whole lot of opportunities, but he's going to make the most of them, uh, yeah. especially with yards after catch. I, I think that's probably just fine. And that's kind of how I'm anticipating this is like one or two significant chunk plays for him. That's probably how he gets over this mark, especially with a lot of space over the middle. So definitely, I think that's a, a nice way to kind of synergize our ideas, so to speak. I uh, want to ask you, too, about Jameer Gibbs here, because when we talk about what the public is doing for BetMGM, uh, they are backing Jameer Gibbs in a lot of different ways. Over 47.5 rushing yards at minus 115, over 27.5 receiving yards at minus 115. In fact, 99% of the bets are on the over. Are you doing anything with Jameer Gibbs? Yeah, I like Jameer Gibbs rushing plus receiving yards to go over. Mm. He's gone over this number. I want to say, I thought I had it written down 79 and a half. There we go. Um, 79 yeah. and a half. He's gone over this number five times this season. And when he's gone over it, he's gone way over it. Two of those games. Cause I know a lot of those games were without David Montgomery. So he was getting the majority of the workload um, in, in the backfield with Montgomery back. He's still gone over this in each of his last two games with Montgomery on the field. And a lot of the damage he's done is receiving wise. So I think Montgomery um, goes over his rushing today. He just destroyed the Packers back in week four on the ground. So I would play rushing mm -hmm. uh, for Montgomery, but rushing and receiving for Gibbs. That way we get a little bit, if he's a little bit more uh, in the receiving game, 
we can use that to propel us over over that number versus just having to rely on his rushing yards and the splits between Montgomery. But I have been at a little surprised that the public does feel so strongly about Gibbs maintaining his workload uh, and his production, even with Montgomery now back for a couple games and like really healthy and kind of starting to go back to early season four. Well, and I wonder, Kate, if one of the reasons for that is just because the Lions love utilizing all of their targets. You know, how many fantasy owners are complaining about Gibbs not being used enough at the start of the season uh, and saying, well, you know, you just drafted him top 15 overall. Like, why aren't you using him more often? And that's what happens with rookie running backs, right? Like, sometimes it takes them a little bit to kind of get used to the speed of the NFL. But then once they do, they're fantastic. And especially Mm -hmm. with a Johnson coordinated offense uh, more than safe to say that Gibbs is going to be utilized in the passing game in some way shape or form and so I think the way to kind of attack say like Lions props is to say okay it's not just one receiver doing just about everything yes Amon Ross St. Brown is you know more than competent and more than spectacular but it's a lot of different guys doing a lot of different things and so as you look at those targets uh, instead of just looking at, say, like yards per route run or something like that, understand that diversifying the portfolio is what the Lions are all about. And yes, Gibbs can have a significant impact that way, especially with chunk plays. Uh, but you also want to factor in the you know the key idea here that the Lions should be able to win this game comfortably. So they will probably keep things on the ground a good bit more or keep things short in the passing game not necessarily looking for deep bombs, uh, you know, even if the Packers are, say, playing a coverage where you could do such things, uh, definitely it's something where the Lions will probably have a slightly more conservative approach to a game like this. Uh, They can still get chunk plays that way. That's why Laporta, I still like the over. But the conservatism will be something where they can still at least get the ball to their favorite running back, their favorite tight end, things like that. So then receiver-wise, with those props, how are you looking at this? Because in week four, when these two Mm -hmm. teams met, I mean, three of the four line touchdowns came on the ground, over 200 yards rushing. Is Green Bay's defense almost going to overcompensate for that? So then you have Amon Ron St. Brown maybe open a little bit more, and you take his overs, but you can't take overs Mm -hmm. on every single one of Detroit's position players, right? So how how do you navigate that? Right. (laughs) Well, I I will probably be staying away from Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, first and foremost, just because I I could definitely see a situation where they're going to other guys. And probably what would make a good bit more sense is if you're going after like the Khalif Raymonds of the world or someone like that, uh, you know, his prop is what, over 11 and a half uh, receiving yards? That probably makes a good bit more sense to me as far as looking at those tertiary targets. Uh, They may be the ones who are making significant impacts just so that everybody gets at least a couple of catches and uh, everybody gets to enjoy the spread at Thanksgiving. It's not just one right receiver one. Going to be definitely a different uh, style than, say, like the Cowboys where we know the ball is going to go to CeeDee Lamb a lot. This is something where they want to diversify a good bit more and uh, everybody gets a seat at the Thanksgiving banquet. That's kind of how I see this. And so finding those receivers who are not uh, as big a contributor, I think that's going to be the the best approach here. Over under on how many Thanksgiving puns Ed uh, throws at us throughout the show. I just counted two in the last minute. Two? You got two? Uh, I'm going to go with 19. I think that's a I think it's a good safe number. So 
Let's let's say 19 and a half, uh, just so we can split the difference here. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we go off the board and discuss what sucks about traveling during the holidays. That's right here on the BetQL Network. Welcome back to BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross and Kate Constable here with you as we go off the board. And Kate, as one does, I'm always on my social media. I'm always on the platform formerly known as Twitter. And as I was scrolling, uh, say, a couple of days ago, I came across something that I found a little unusual. And I, it's been stuck in my craw for quite some time. And I believe the tweet comes from a at Kate Constable, and it reads, Farting on an airplane should be a federal offense. Kate, have you written to your congressman from Illinois? I have multiple times, Ed, every day, every day for the okay. last year. No, uh, I have not. I have not done that yet. But I do think that that should be a federal offense. You know, when they air the safety um, spiel at the beginning of flights that no one listens to and they say smoking is prohibited in laboratories and the cabin, uh, that is a federal offense. Just add farting to that farting in the cabin if you want to go into the laboratory not a federal offense that's what that's there for i can't complain there but in the cabin federal offense that is not okay because that air just sits in that tube that's being shot through the air for the next three hours and just circulates and i said this on um the daily tip yesterday i can't tell you how many farts i ate on that flight on tuesday I was just sitting there just tasting these farts. It was disgusting. Someone was had way too just someone was not feeling okay apparently and was costing mm -hmm. the rest of the flight their sanity throughout. So, I think it should be a federal offense. A lot of people traveling around right now around Thanksgiving in the holidays, just don't do it. Go to the bathroom. I, I worry about kids uh, who perhaps uh, don't have uh, all control of their bodily functions or they think it's funny to just let one out. Uh, that's certainly a possibility on planes. Like if we already had enough issues with kids as it is with crying or running around or things like that, I think actually like it's the running around the aisle that makes me a little anxious yeah. because I, I don't know why the aluminum can we call an airplane uh, makes me nervous, but somehow somebody running up and down the aisle as if it's a school bus or something that, that makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, so they might be the culprits here. Uh, also, you might have people uh, say with health conditions uh, where they can't help themselves. And so then what are you supposed to do in situations like that? Like you can't, you know, tap them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, uh, I know you may have a health issue, but you know, cut it out like I, I don't know how you handle those situations well okay i'll give a pass to kids i'll give a pass to those with health conditions i'm talking about the guy who's sitting guy or girl i should say that's yeah. sitting on yeah. the aisle a, a, opportunity yes, across, here. across from me that has a very easy path to the bathroom he doesn't have to ask anyone to move he doesn't have to he or, or she. she doesn't have to wake anyone just get up and go i mean it's it's like taking your shoes off you don't take your shoes off on airplanes mm -hmm. right now that's true. would we that's agree correct. on that ed yes okay a hundred yes there are kids that might maybe there are people who's got like swollen ankles or something that have to for medical purposes i don't know we'll give those people a pass everyone else keep your shoes on everyone else keep <laughs> your farts in right <laughs> come on it's not that hard <laughs> 
No, and and I would love to see the flight attendant be the first one to go rogue and tell everyone on that plane to do that. Or is that going to be a problem because like now suddenly you're going to have someone rebelling like, well, they can't tell me what to do with my own gas. Like I have freedom, like it first amendment or whatever, like first amendment has nothing to do with it. But still though, it's something where like, is someone going to go rogue if they're being told this and they're like, you know what? Toot. Yeah, someone will, and someone will have a a fit because that's what we like to do as Americans, make uh, massive deals mm-hmm. out of everything and complain and, you know, have the, the, all the videos go viral on the planes. So someone will complain, which is why it's never going to be a federal offense. But I personally think that it should, people should be a little bit more conscientious on airplanes. Passing gas is one of many reasons why traveling during the Thanksgiving break is one of the worst experiences of our lives. The airports are packed. Everybody is cranky, all of that stuff. And yes, today is Thanksgiving, but I still think it's important because at some point we're probably going to have to fly back to whatever destination uh, from whence we came. And so when we're talking about what to do on flights or on car trips or whatever it is, I have an unpopular opinion, and, and I'd love to run oh. this by you because I think this matters yeah. a great deal as far as overall conduct on a plane or on some kind of a road trip. I, you know, back in the day, way before us, because, you know, Kate, you and I, like, we're not that far off in age, uh, but oh. this is like generations prior to us where people would dress up to get on an airplane, like maybe even wear a suit or something nice you know, business casual, something like that. I'd actually like to bring that back. I would actually like to make that part of our culture only because I think when you are wearing pajamas on a plane, you get too relaxed. And by being too relaxed, you tend to do things that will annoy everybody else. Whereas if you dress up, first off, you're likelier to have showered because you're not gonna be dirty and then wear nice clothes. So the hygiene is already good. And I think in some sort of unconscious way, it forces you to behave a certain way. So I would like to bring back all of us dressing up uh, to go to the airport or even on a car trip. Like, okay, it doesn't have to be the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Like you don't necessarily have to wear a necktie if you're a man, but at least wear something that is not pajamas. I think that might alleviate some of these Hard. issues that we're talking about. Pass, sweatpants, sweatpants on planes all day. Like this, this is the new reality. It's Hmm. jeans are just not that comfortable. No, I, I am very much a sweatpants on a plane. Oh God, maybe if they're like the comfortable golf fit, like you could do the comfortable like golf fit ones. But no, absolutely, I am so out on all of this forever. No comfort, comfort first. I get what you're saying, Ed, because I when I like I put on actual jeans this morning and like, you know, it makes me feel like I'm at a work day and it's not I'm working from home and a holiday, you know, so I'm trying to be like serious. So I get with that with traveling because I'm I'm not perfect when I travel either. I kind of look like hot garbage. My hair's a little greasy. I'm not going to waste time washing my hair the night before the morning of when I'm going to be sitting on a Mm -hmm. plane. I go like no makeup route, grungy clothes. 
So yes, I think people's hygiene would probably be all around a little bit better and make the traveling experience more pleasant for people. But I also don't want to be sitting there in tight jeans for three hours and not just the three hours you're sitting on the plane. Then you have the whole travel of like going through TSA and going through, you know, waiting at the gate, all that, like to be in those uncomfortable clothes for all day for a work day, fine. But for a travel day, when you're likely not going to see anyone, you know, things like that. I'm with Paul out on that. I'm leggings, sweatpants, baggy t-shirts, sweatshirts. That's my travel attire. Maybe we could up it like nice athleisure wear and be a little bit more put right. together that way. But uh, I'm not khakis, wear, like, yeah, no. Yeah, we don't need I'm to be wearing like, like wear footy pajamas, holes. but yes. Right. But like, yeah. you know, a nice little like zip up sweatshirt or something that's still kind of cute and, and and comfortable but not gross like bring back bring back the juicy brand like one of those like kind of yeah track bring back the juicy track those were perfect for travel yeah are, are you are you uh espousing lululemon or lululemon whatever it's called is that, that also part of the uh shtick here kate you could do that there's a lot of Lulu dupes out there this this um this time of year or this day and age. Get yourself a mm -hmm. little Lulu dupe. You don't have to spend a lot. You look put together. It's easy. I think you can do like yeah. I I think you can do like put together comfy. Like I'm not saying wear like yeah. you know your ratty old sweatshirt and sweatpants and all that, but you can you can be a like. I don't know, nice, but like it can be comfortable, like a, a shower, hygiene, brush your teeth, please. Mm -hmm. All that, brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. like, but you can be comfortable too. And then don't I, have I, I understand like, your oh, rough so point. Like it, get it's in a routine. package though. Yeah. Yeah. Make it part of the routine. I don't think we do that enough. And so I think the complete package is sort of the approach. But I mean, look, there's so many different, you know, attires out there where you can wear something comfortable but still look like you're a little bit less casual i, I think that's kind of the route that i'm going at and that's why i recommend khak khakis are comfortable why, why are you hating on khakis well i don't wear khakis i just think that airport culture has gotten so bad over the years like oh, it's awful. airport it's awful. the airport is a free-for-all you can do anything mm -hmm. you want at any time of the day at the airport you can have a beer at 6 a.m you can have a full dinner at 6 a.m. if you want. You can lay on the ground mm -hmm. by your gate. I'm not, I, I've done that before. I'm a little ashamed to say I have. I've been exhausted, laid on the ground, like, right? There's just weird things that I would never lay on the ground in public anywhere else other than an airport. So why is, why is it that we've turned into animals at the airport? Okay, so real quick story about that. And Paul, I know you, I'm sure you have a story about this too, but I did have a flight get delayed overnight. And then I had to stay at the airport for, you know, an additional five, six hours or whatever. So I put two benches together and took a nap on them. And sure enough, some kid walked by and like had the phone out like, oh, what the heck is this guy doing over here? Well, my flight got delayed. What do you want me to do? Like just sit around and hang out? No, I need to get some sleep in. Like that almost feels like an invasion of privacy where people like are completely unaware of the situations that certain people might be in. 
And you know what would be terrible in that situation? This happened to us when we, we came back from Japan. We took off from Tokyo, yeah. got an hour into the flight. They're like, oh, no, we have to turn around. So went back to another airport, had a six hour layover before or like fixed the plane over before getting back on the plane. You know what would have sucked in that situation? Jeans and khakis. So oh, sweatpants yeah. all the way to finish this conversation. But yeah, that that's is also a great weird. point. You never well, know what's going to well, happen and how long the day is going to be. Well, let's blame the engineers then. Let's blame them for that. Like, let's let's make sure that all of our planes are working first and foremost, that we get where we need to go safely. And then let's all maintain our hygiene and not pass gas and dress nicely for others to see. That's how it's done. This is Beck All Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, can the Cowboys cover a massive spread that has only grown this week? Our preview of Commanders Cowboys is coming up right here on the Beck Network.